this is my friend Derek, and he is uh, serving uh, the Lord over in Woburn as a pastor at the First Congregational Church. He's been there for about seven, uh, eight years uh, serving that community uh, there. Uh, and uh, over the next many months, uh, he has uh, answered a call to come alongside Genesis and serve as an elder advisor board uh, to me personally in helping make uh, important decisions and also come alongside some other men who feel a call uh, towards eldership. So he is serving us tonight, and he's going to be preaching, but he's also going to be serving uh, you guys, this community, uh, over the next many months uh, as God raises up uh, called and qualified men to serve uh, as elders. So his wife, uh, Christy, is here with him as well. I don't know if she's actually physically in the room right now. She might be downstairs. Uh, Derek has uh, two little ones. Uh, he's got a three-year-old, cool kid. He's got a Boston Red Sox, Red Sox hat on. I am all about brainwashing children. My kids are Ohio State fanatics, and it's cool. Um, and then he just had a, uh, a newborn son, three months old, and his name is Eli. And uh, so his whole family is here with him tonight. So after uh, Genesis is over, please uh, take some time to introduce yourself, say hello, and uh, certainly thank him for what he is going to be doing, uh, not just tonight, but over the next many months. One thing I wanted to share about Derek, and as he probably feels uncomfortable just standing here, um, is uh, when I first uh, asked Derek to pray about serving Genesis on this elder advisor board, uh, one of the questions that I asked him is, we're feeling called and working pretty hard uh, to plant uh, a first church. As you know, Genesis wants to plant many churches, but we want to potentially, we feel called and led to go towards Woburn. And you're a pastor of a church in Woburn, and some men, uh, some pastors would see that as, hey, I'm already here, and, you know, go somewhere else. I don't want a competition. I don't want to have, you know, that kind of thing. And so I was just straight up and asked him that question, how do you feel about Genesis coming to uh, the, the same town you've been faithfully serving and, and uh, working very hard to reach and minister to in uh, over these last seven, eight years? And uh, his response was just priceless. It was beautiful of, I love Woburn. And if there's another church, another community that would have a heart to serve, engage, and love uh, the folks in Woburn and beyond Woburn with the gospel, then we need as much help as we can get. It was not an attitude of, please consider somewhere else uh, type of thing. It was, hey, I would love to have your community right next to my community trying to impact this community with the gospel. And that just spoke volumes to me personally about this man and his character. So let me uh, pray for Derek as he comes and shares the um, uh, message tonight. Father God, give thanks for Derek, and I just give thanks for the call that you've placed on his life, that he has faithfully uh, been serving you and uh, serving uh, his church community in Woburn these last seven, eight years. God, I do pray that you would just open up a floodgate of blessing on him, his family, and his church in Woburn. God, I give so just so much thanks to you for putting a call in his life also to serve Genesis, a community that this is the first time he's seen us as a church. And so, God, just give thanks that uh, he was willing and he is available uh, to serve you and serve Genesis. So, God, would you bless this man uh, tonight? Would you open our hearts uh, to receive what you would have to say to us? And would you speak through your servant, uh, this man that you have called uh, to bring forth your word uh, in this place tonight? And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, there we go. 
That is actually very awkward. I, I stand in front of people all the time, but it's very awkward to have people talk about me when I'm right in front of them, but anyways. <laughs> this, you're probably wondering, is a spear, as you can guess. It was a spear that was given to my wife's grandfather. He was a medical doctor, but he went on many medical missionary trips. And uh, as a gift to him for probably spearing that person, and they gave him this spear. And I don't know if you've ever held a spear. This one's made out of bamboo. It's quite light. I'm thinking I could throw it quite far. Uh, it's not like one of those metal ones that's quite heavy duty. I don't know if you've ever held one, but I've held one before. I remember it well. I was, uh, I was at Gordon College at the time, and I was on a safari trip with Gordon College, uh, spending some time in Kenya. And on safari, we went to a place called Maasai Mara. And in Maasai Mara, it is well known for lions. Uh, you go there because there's a great lion population, and your chances of seeing a lion are just perfect. And I remember driving into Maasai Mara that uh, early afternoon and coming into the camp. It was a camp that was surrounded by a river. It had trees all around the river and a a deep river that sort of flowed all around as protection, if you will. We got out of the truck and sort of got ourselves situated, and we noticed a sound. It was the sound of lions roaring in the background. And that made us all quite uncomfortable because, you know, we're used to zoos and them being in cages and not liking the fact that uh, we were in a campsite where lions were around. And so the, the guide said to us, don't worry about this. We know that you, you guys are nervous, and so we're going to uh, give you someone that will help you through this time. And, and so they presented a, a Maasai warrior. And he told the story, he says, uh, Maasai warriors, when they become warriors, when they go from boys to men, they have to kill a lion. And because they kill these lions, the lions know their smell and are afraid of them. And so it's okay because we have a Maasai warrior in our campsite, and the lions smell the Maasai warrior, and so they won't come anywhere near uh, us as a campsite. And all of us are sort of looking at them saying, yeah, right. I mean, there's lions out there. So anyways, we got situated. We kind of got used to the fact that there's lions screaming. If they're roaring out there, then they're not over here, and this is okay. And so I was in my tent that night with uh, a friend, Brent, and Brent and I were in the tent and just about ready to doze off when the tent next door to us, Jen and Michelle, sort of asked a question through the tent and said, uh, Derek and Brent, we need to go to the bathroom. Could you walk us to the outhouse? Now, the outhouse was like 250 yards away from the campsite at the edge near the river. And we thought about it. We, we listened to the roars, and we, we didn't want to be, uh, you know, too wimpish, if you will. And so we said... Yeah, I think we'll do it. I had a great idea. I said, why don't we go up to the Maasai Wari, and I'm sure he would love to escort the two of you to this outhouse. And so we did. We walked up to this Maasai warrior, and, and he was at the, the campsite by the fire, and he said uh, to me, he looked at me, and he said, you know, Mon, I, I'm too tired right now. And he handed me the spear, and he said, here, take this, and if you see anything, throw it at it, but don't miss. And so there we were walking. It was 
it was a moonlit night. It was a beautiful night. I don't think I remembered that it's a beautiful night because there was, you know, enough light to make it dangerous, at least for me, because I could see things that were going on. And there was this nice light breeze that was moving the trees just a little bit. And as we were making our way to the outhouse and talking along, I'm holding the spear, kind of going like this. Because I'm freaked out that I have the spear and i got to protect everyone. But anyways, we get to the outhouse, and, and the girls go in, and Brent and I are standing there, and I'm thinking, this is perfect. Here we are, two strong men, like, protecting women. This is like what romance novels are written about. I mean, the chivalry, the bravery. I, I'm like the man. Everyone's going to say, you should have seen Derek. He was holding that spear. He was going to protect us no matter what. And I'm thinking, oh, this is, this is nice. I mean, there's going to be stories told about me at college. But then the roaring stopped. And both Brett and I noticed it at the same time because the wind picked up a little bit and started moving a bush about 20 yards away. And there was this uneasy tension between us. And I was holding the spear kind of like this at the time and sort of backing up as I, as I went. And, and I thought, you know, if he comes, I'm just... I'm, I'm going to wait until he's really close and then thrust the spear. And then I thought, what if I miss? What if I miss? What am I going to do? I I mean, all of a sudden, the headlines started going across. Gordon College student is mourned because he was eaten by a lion. I mean, I'm just, I'm freaking out at this time. And so much for chivalry, so much for bravery. I, I screamed out with a sort of a crackling in my voice. And I said, girls, you better get out of the outhouse now or I'm coming in. Because... I don't like this. We were terrified. That night, I I remember being in the tent and the dreams that I heard as I heard the lions roaring in the background, and I I kept thinking, he's eating me. He's eating me. He's eating me. Have you ever been scared like that? Had that fear where you have, you're about to lose all bodily control of everything that you have. You have that tingling where you feel like your hair is standing straight up. And you are just terrified. The story we're going to read about tonight is a story in which the disciples, the one who knew Jesus, were just as terrified. They were scared out of their minds. And as you've been reading through the Gospel of Mark we'll read this story about the disciples who were terrified. We're going to start with uh, Mark 9, verses 1 through 8, which is a well-known story, the story of the transfiguration. I don't know what Michael does, but he told me he sits here. Um, I'm used to standing, walking around, so I'm going to be a little hyper and just move around a little bit as it goes. But Matthew 9, this is the story of the transfiguration this story about Jesus going up on the mountain. Mark writes it this way. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. 
And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. There's been a lot of debate on verse 1, about where Jesus says to the disciples, some of you will see the kingdom coming with power before you taste death. And so that they've tried to figure out, what is he actually saying? What, what does it mean? And they've come up with sort of three conclusions. One is, is that he's referring to the transfiguration, what we just read. That the disciples would see that power by Jesus looking like God, showing who he really is. Others said, no, that's not it. The power of God that he is going to bring out is uh, that time at the death and resurrection of Jesus. That when Jesus dies and rises again, that is when the power of God will be seen. Still others say, no, that's not it. It's Pentecost. It's the time when Jesus, I mean, excuse me, when the Holy Spirit comes over the church and fills them with strength so that they can do his will. And so what is it? I say yes. It's all of them. That Jesus says he will come with, they will see the kingdom coming with power in the transfiguration, in the death and resurrection, and in the Pentecost. That they will see it in a small way as Jesus is transformed before them up on the mountain. And so Mark tells us how that happened. He says that they went up, the three of them, Peter, James, and John with Jesus. And he says that Jesus was changed in front of them. The word transfigured, it's the word we get metamorphosis. Changing from a caterpillar into a butterfly. That Jesus no longer looked the way that they normally saw him in everyday life. But he was changed. He was in a different form. And the only way that they could describe that form was to use words like, it looked like this. It was like this because they couldn't describe what they were seeing he says that they were he was transfigured before them and in verse 3 and his clothes became radiant intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them i mean here he was this bright white this white that you couldn't bleach i mean remember in those days it's not like they had uh the bright colors like we have, they, they, they had that white and it would get dirty. And so they, they're trying to describe what's the whitest thing that they could see. And you and I, if, if we could sort of tell a movie about what it would look like to be divine, wouldn't we pick this color? We'd pick this brightness, this, this like bright white light to describe what God looked like. And the disciples picked that up as well, that this is God. That this isn't the Jesus that we've seen. That this is God. No one else could look like this. And then it says that two other people appeared with Jesus. Moses and Elijah. Two of the greatest uh, heroes in the Old Testament. Moses was the great lawgiver. And Elijah was the great prophet. Those who 
in their very character and their being, looked forward to God's power, to God's kingdom coming. And so they were perfect examples of everything that was great about that relationship with God. They They had done it the right way. And so there they are with Jesus up on the mountain. And Peter looks at this whole scene, and he comes up with a conclusion. And he says, you know what, Jesus, this is what we should do. This is a great idea. This is, this is awesome. We're going to make three tents. Now, three tents to you and me might not mean much. But what he meant by that is that three tents are three memorials or three places of worship. We're going to have a place for worship for Moses. We're going to have a place of worship for Elijah. And we're going to have a place of worship for you, Jesus. That's what we're going to do. Three, three places to worship, and people can come from all over and said, this is the place. Yes, five years ago, on this very a day just like this, Jesus appeared uh, in a dazzling white, and there was Moses, and there was Elijah. And, and, and pay your money. We'll give you the rest of the tour as you go. And this is great. We're going to worship in this space. And I think at this moment, James and John wanted to hit Peter. Because out out of nowhere, this cloud appears. Now, we're not talking like, you know, just this nice, puffy cloud. If we're trying to describe this cloud that was the presence of God, what would it look like? Uh, can't you picture like lightning all around it, this, this green tinge to it, like this is, this is awesome, you better run. And this cloud comes to them and it says that a voice spoke. I remember going to Jurassic Park. Maybe you remember going to the movie Jurassic Park. And they had a problem. What does the T-Rex sound like? I mean, no one's ever heard of T-Rex. We don't know if he sounds like a, a snake hissing, or we don't know if he, if he even has a voice for that matter. But we do think that if he was to scream, the way he screams, it better be strong, it better be firm, it better be scary. And so they listen to all these animals uh, scream, if you will, at the top of their lungs. And they couldn't come up with one, so they, they sort of morphed a sound off of four animals, off an alligator, off a lion, a tiger, and an elephant. And they morphed that together and they said, this is what the T-Rex would sound like. So what would we say the voice of God sounds like? In our society, if it was a movie, it would be definitely James Earl Jones, wouldn't it? I mean, (laughs) AT&T James Earl Jones comes. I mean, he's breathing like Darth Vader and we know that this is God. What would the voice of God sound like? We get some clues in Scripture. Revelation tells us that it was like the roar of many waters. In Exodus, it says that it was like thunder when he spoke. And then in 1 Kings, he says that it sounded like a low whisper, a silence, a low whisper silence. Whatever it is, whatever that sound sounded like, don't you think it would bring chills up your spine? (laughs) 
You see this cloud coming to you, and you hear this voice, this majestic voice, and it would send chills up your spine, and you would be stopping short in silence, not wanting to say a word. When Peter later described it in his letter, Second Peter, he said it was the voice coming out of the majestic glory. It's quite a description. That when he heard the voice and he thought about it, it was the majestic glory. Matthew tells us that they fell on their faces in fear. And Mark tells us that they were terrified. They were scared out of their minds. I get this picture. Maybe you get this picture too. I remember the scarecrow running out of Oz, freaked out because he heard the, the, the mighty Oz screaming. And remember, he's running down the hall as fast as he can, freaking out because he's scared out of his mind. I'm thinking the disciples are just like that. They've heard the voice of God, and they don't know what to do. It's not like they've seen a lion and they got a spear. This is God. What do we do? <clears throat> and that voice sounds and said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. He was correcting Peter a little bit, wasn't he? No, I don't have three sons, Peter. I don't want you to make three tents here. I have one son, one beloved son. This is the one that's in dazzling white. This is my son, and yes, he is divine, and you better listen to him. It's funny because if we took these words out of its context, wouldn't we say that's kind of nice? Uh, listen to Jesus because he's God's beloved son. Uh, we'd hear that and we think, oh, that's great. I'm going to go to Panera with him and we're going to just have a cup of coffee and we're going to sit back and relax and he's going to tell me what to do and I'm just going to listen to him. Or some of us would say, that's great because I've always wanted to hug him and embrace him and just say, I'm so thankful for you in my life. But that's not what we get from this story. We get this father commanding his children to listen to him. It, it, as a father... I can tell you that we have different voices. We have that first nice little voice. Sam, can you come over here, please? It doesn't work usually, by the way. It has to be raised up to another octave, and before you know it, you are screaming at the top of your lungs, Sam, will you get over here, please? Isn't that what it sounds like? Not a voice of, Oh, let's go take a walk. But this is my son. Listen to him. And that very fear that you have right now, that very willingness to listen to whatever I have to say to you, I want that same willingness to listen to my son, Jesus. And this word listen he has this sense of not just, oh, he's going to tell a story and, and listen in. But you better heed him. You better obey him. That there, there gives this sense of command, not only by, by the way he said it, but by 
the very words he said. And so what the Father is saying is, listen to Jesus. And so the question for us is, how do we listen to Jesus? How do we listen to Jesus in our everyday life? Now, there's lots of ways that we listen to Jesus. Uh, the main way that we listen to Jesus, that we listen to him over the years, is through what we might call daily disciplines, spiritual disciplines, spiritual habits of reading God's word, of spending time with him in prayer, of taking some time every morning or every afternoon or every evening, whenever you do it, reading God's word and asking some questions. Jesus, what are you saying to me here? Are you asking me to love like you're loving this person? Are you asking me to listen to you as you're telling me to listen? Are you calling me to go and trust you through this time? Are you calling me to go out and, and to take a step out of my comfort zone and to go to the place of need? That when we read God's word, we are to listen, if you will, to God's word. Because in it, Jesus is speaking to us. And so, as we develop this daily habit, this spiritual habit, if you will, of listening to Jesus through prayer and through reading his word, we learn to hear his voice. And we start to see him speaking to us as through the very stories that we're reading. Uh, you might come by a story one day where Jesus is feeding the 5,000. And you're thinking, that's an odd story. What does Jesus have to say through me this? But maybe you're dealing with financial issues. Maybe you don't know if God will provide all that you have need. And shocking, God is saying that he feeds 5,000 people with just a few fish and bread. Maybe he's saying to you, I will provide for you as well. So we're to listen to him in his daily word. We're also to listen to him in community. That we cannot do it alone. And this is where, uh, again, uh, I don't know what decision you're going to make. But I can say this. You need to be in a community. I think Genesis would be a great community for you to be in. Because you cannot go through your life and expect to listen to Jesus if you do it alone. If you're going to pop from this church to this church to this church, you will never hear God's voice speaking to you as the way he speaks to us through community, through others, that we have the opportunity to encourage others, that people can come to us and say those hard words to us, that Jesus always uses community to speak to us. And so wherever you go, you need to be in a community. A community that is dedicated to listening to Jesus. And this is a great one. Uh, finally, we need to listen to Jesus in the everyday affairs of our lives. What are we going through? What is God saying to us? Is he calling us to love this person who we've come across? Is he calling us to walk out of our comfort zone and, and talk to that person at work that we know that is hurting? Is he calling us to go deeper? All these things that go on in our lives, God uses those events in our lives to speak to us. 
So God says that we are to listen to Jesus. He's commanding us to listen to Jesus. So the question for us is, what is Jesus saying in this text? I mean, if I was to say that to you that you're supposed to read God's word, and in God's word, Jesus will speak to you. Okay, Derek. Well, what is he saying? It's interesting because you would think that the first words that are out of Jesus' mouth, they're going to listen to them, right? God says, the Father says, listen to my son. And they're like, okay, go ahead, Jesus, say something. Say something. What does he say? Because it might surprise you. I don't think we'd any of us would expect to hear it. In verse 9, it says this. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. So what were the first words that Jesus said? Again, words we wouldn't expect. I will suffer. You know, see me high and lifted up in bright light with my Father speaking uh, to you about me. I'm going to suffer. And in fact, Mark is making this so clear to us because Jesus made it so clear to the disciples. The text that's right before the transfiguration, where Peter says to Jesus, you are the Messiah. What does Jesus say right after that? You are right, and the Messiah will suffer and die. And then what does he say? If you want to follow me, you will suffer as well. Right after our text, uh, in verse 30 to 32, he says again, the Son of Man will suffer and die. Then again in the next chapter, the Son of Man will suffer and die. And it culminates in chapter 10, verse 45, where Jesus says this. The Son of Man, who is the Messiah, who is me, has come not to be served, but to serve. In other words, I haven't come to have all these people surrounding me and serving me. I've come to serve. And I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. I've come to give up my life to help out others so that they could be made free. And so what are the first words he says? I will suffer. And if you follow me, guess what? You will suffer. We don't like that. No, we like our lives as it is, God. Thank you. Can't we stay up on the mountain when everything was nice and, and pretty and, and we could have this wonderful time of worship with you and the Father? What's this suffering stuff? You see, even when the question that they ask Jesus about Elijah, they ask him about Elijah. When was Elijah to come? Uh, you see, at the end of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, there was a prophecy. And the prophecy said this. Before the Messiah comes, before the, the, the Son of Man comes, before the kingdom comes, 
I will send a messenger ahead of him who will have the spirit of Elijah in him. And so the Jews in that day were looking for the spirit of Elijah. Who is it that has the spirit of Elijah? Because if we find him, then we know that soon afterwards the Messiah would come. And so they, they, they've come to a problem because they recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, but they're saying, well, wait a minute, Jesus, where was Elijah? And Jesus says to them that Elijah has come. Elijah does come first to restore all things in verse 12. And in other versions, it says that he was John the Baptist. But then he goes on to say, and he suffered, and the Son of Man will suffer as well. So the first words out of Jesus' mouth is, I will suffer. And if you follow me, you will suffer as well. And I'm going to give it to Michael to explain to you what that means in the rest of Mark. So good luck, Michael. I know he's going to do it perfectly. And you are going to just say, this is exactly what it means. What's hard for us is that it's, we don't like suffering. And so we don't want suffering in any part of our lives. And yet, uh, let me give you a little advice if you're not married. This is something that I tell all couples that uh, when they're getting married. I ask them a question. Is there anything about your future spouse that you would like to change? And I love it when I hear, oh, no, he's perfect. (laughs) When you're married, a funny thing happens. It's actually not that you don't see your spouse as perfect as you realize something else. You're not perfect. And boy, am I lucky to be married to someone like that who actually is married to me with all my issues and all my problems. But the one thing I say to, uh, to couples is this. You will never grow stronger together except when you go through hard times. If you are married, you will understand that. That there is never a time that as we are married and go in life that we grow during good times. We have fun during good times. We have a blast during good times. But we never really grow stronger, closer together unless we go through hard times. Because those hard times bring us together. And they help us to to gain a new ground. And it's from that new ground that we go forth. And so... Listen to Jesus, because he is going to call you to suffer as well. Jesus then grabs Peter, James, and John, and they go down the mountain, and they go see the rest of the disciples. And we pick it up in verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whatever it seizes him, it throws him down and foams and grind, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately 
it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So we know the command from the Father is this. Listen to Jesus. It's very simple. Listen to Jesus. He is my beloved Son. He is God. He is everything. He is your Savior. So listen to him. What does Jesus say as he comes down the mountain? The first thing is, is that the, his nonverbal is much louder than his verbal. You know what I mean by nonverbal and verbal, don't you? You're sitting there and you're talking to someone and say, no, I'm not mad with you right now. I'm, I'm not angry with you. No, I'm not angry with you. I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. And we can see by the nonverbal that you're furious with me. So just, you know, don't, don't beat around the bush. And Jesus' actions here are speaking louder than his words. That Jesus is leaving the mountaintop and going into the valley. That Jesus is leaving that place where he is worshipped and going to the place of mission. That Jesus is leaving that place where others could come to him and worship him for all eternity. And he leaves that place so that he can go out to the place where the need is. To the place where people are. And it's consistently what he did before, where it says that he left his father's side and came to us. And what Jesus is saying to us in the nonverbal here is, go out into the world. Don't stay here. Go out into the mission. And it's interesting because we in the American church have misunderstood this all. We have not gotten this right at all. We have said, come to us. Come join us. Come into our place and we'll, we'll love you. Promise we love you. We're really nice people and we have a loving God. And, and you're invited, come in. Jesus could have done that up on the mountain. He could have had that place of worship. But he chose not to do that, but to go out into mission. And what we're hearing here is, is that we aren't to stay here, but to leave this place and go out and follow Jesus going into the mission field, which is here in this area. Where did Jesus do in his life? Zacchaeus, can I come over to your house and eat? John and James and Peter, can I get into your boats and go out fishing with you? Matthew, I want to come over to your house and bring all your friends. I want to come to you. 
Again and again, Jesus left that place of comfort and went to that place of need. He left his Father's side to come to us because he knew that's where the need was. And he is calling us to go out with him from the mountaintop right into mission. Right out into the community of Winchester, Woburn. Right into your very neighborhoods. Right into your homes, into your places of work. That is where Jesus is calling you to go. That doesn't mean that we don't come together. We are. But together we go out from this place with Jesus on mission. I think of, uh, when I usually think of this, I think of the movie The Fellowship of the Ring. I love The Fellowship of the Ring. I, I love the, the token movies. And I, I'm thinking of that scene where they, have to, they realize that they have this ring before them and they have to go bring it into Mordor and throw it into that volcano. And Frodo says, I will go, and they all join him with him. And they become the, the fellowship of the ring. And their fellowship is based on their mission. Their mission is to go bring the ring. And they have joined together on that mission to go out. And so the very reason why we are together is not to have fun. It's not to go back and have those nice muffins and all those wonderful pastries. It's not to sit here and gather and say how you're doing, although that is great. It's to go out from this place and go into the world and serve Jesus wherever you are. So listen to Jesus. By the way, just a little hint here. When you go out into the world, you will suffer. I mean, what does Jesus have to do? He has to go back into this place and deal with his disciples. How long must I bear with you? How long do I have to deal with you? You idiots, you haven't figured this out yet? What, I mean, I was having a good time up there, and I have to come down to this? When we go out, we will suffer. But we are going with Jesus. So listen to Jesus. The disciples had picked that up. They had understood that they were to go out into mission. I mean, the great thing about the disciples, other than the three, is that they were in the community trying to do God's work. They're trying to heal this boy that was uh, demon-possessed. He was an epileptic, and it convulsed him, and we find out later that he had a demon in him. But they couldn't get the job done. And the question is, why? Why couldn't they get the job done? At the end of the, of the account in verse 29, it says this. They asked him, why could we not cast this out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. In other words, the only way you can drive this demon out is by prayer. Or, duh, you guys didn't pray. What do you mean they didn't pray? This sounds kind of obvious that they didn't pray. Here's what I think was going on. Some chapters before, Jesus sends them out on mission and says, you're going to go out and you're going to cast out demons in my name and do everything. And they come back and says, we did it, we did it, we, we cast out the demons. And as they were going out there and they heard Jesus' words, they're, they're saying, help me, help me, 
help me, help me. I don't want to go over there. Help me, Lord Jesus, you better be with me because I don't want to go. No, 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 don't bring that demon-possessed person near me. I don't want to go do that. And help me, help me, help me. You can hear it in their voice. Now they've done it a few times. They say, it's just a boy. I can do this one. I can do this one and just say, out. And they had forgotten one key thing. That the only way that they had power to cast out demons was in their connection to God. And they thought that God had just given them some special powers that they had like a magic wand and they could say, voila, and the demons left. That they had forgotten to listen to Jesus. That they need Jesus to do these things. That they need the Father. That they need to have that power by giving their lives to Him and following Him. And they had forgotten that very key truth. And we do the same things at times, don't we? There are times in our lives that we forget to listen to him. Sometimes we do it because we're busy in life. We get so busy and we think, no, this isn't the best thing for me. You know, I'm so busy right now. And yeah, I know I should pray, but I forgot to. And I just have a hectic life going. And there are other times that we don't listen to God because something else happens in our life. We think we know how it should work out. Have you ever come to that where you say to, you, you, maybe you don't say it to God like I do. Maybe you, you don't say something, God, if you want my advice, I think you should do it this way. Because I know. And so we go through life and we say, God, if you're going to work, you're going to work in this way. And God oftentimes says, no, that's not what I'm going to do, Derek. I'm going to do it this way. And because we're thinking, we're looking over here, okay, he's going to do it over here, he's going to do it over here, we fail to listen that he's working over here. And so we are to always listen to Jesus and recognize that our power, our life force, if you will, always comes from him. So listen to Jesus. Listen to him and obey his word. Listen to him and understand that we will suffer. Listen to him and go into mission. Listen to him and understand that you are to listen to him for your power. And then we have this man that comes to Jesus. And we understand that when we listen to him, that we are to listen also to ourselves. In verse 20, it says that they brought the boy to Jesus. And it says that he convulsed all around. And Jesus asked his father in verse 21, he says, how long has this been happening to him? And he says, from childhood. And has often cast him into fire and into water and destroy him. And verse 22, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Didn't sound very convicting, did it? If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I'm not sure you can do this, Jesus, but if you can, can you heal my boy? I don't know if, if, if you're able to do this. And Jesus picks right up on it. He says to him, if you can, what's this nonsense, if you can stuff? Of course I can. Anything is possible for him who believes. Of course I can take this, this demon and cast him out. The question is, do you believe that I can? And something happens to the father. 
He's listening to Jesus. And he recognizes that as Jesus is speaking to him, he is hearing in himself that he is unable to do what Jesus is asking. That he does not have that faith. That he does not have that conviction. And he says to, to Jesus, immediately the, in verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. He looked at his own heart and he saw that he didn't have that belief that Jesus was asking of him. And so Jesus was speaking to him. And as Jesus spoke to him in his life, he recognized that he had something lacking. And Jesus does that to us when Jesus speaks into our lives. He has that ability, and it's sometimes scary, to push back the curtain and to reveal what is going on in our lives. To reveal what are those things that are holding us back. And he doesn't do it in a way to expose us. In a way that says, Aha, I figured you out. No, it's in a way of encouragement to say, Okay, this is what's in the way. If you get this out of the way, then I can do it. And the father recognizes says, I believe, help my unbelief. I know you can do it, but help me to understand it so deeply that I live it out with my life. What is hindering you from listening to Jesus? What is holding you back from following Him wherever He is calling you to go? From following Him into mission? What is hindering you? Is it trust? Is it that you say, Jesus, this is, this is great, everything that, that's been told of you, transfiguration, but I don't really believe it in my life. I mean, yes, I'm not saying that you didn't do it, but I need to see it in my life. Or, Jesus, I kind of like you with me at Panera Bread. I don't know if I like you with you being on the mighty on high and commanding me what to do and, and scaring me a little bit. What is it that is hindering you from listening to Jesus? Because the Father is speaking from the mountain. And He's saying, this is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. And so it is listen to Him with our lives in our hearts, in a community, and in the daily walk of our lives. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Oh Lord Jesus, I think of that Father yearning, wanting His Son to be healed and coming to You because He kind of recognized that You could do it, but... He wasn't completely sure. Lord, that prayer that he said, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, would you pull back the curtain of our lives and help us to listen to you with all that we have. That we would follow you wherever you call us to go. Speak to us, Lord. For we are listening. 
Amen.